Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. From Variety, celebrating more than 115 years covering the business of entertainment, this is the Award Circuit Podcast. What Lynn has crafted with this film is that it's not about rent, it's not about a great success, it's about how do you live through failure and how do you re-up your commitment to your original dream after being kind of uh, smacked around by the world, smacked around by the industry you're trying to crack. Andrew Garfield says he took away so much from Lin-Manuel Miranda's chronicle of the journey of playwright Jonathan Larson in the film Tick, Tick, Boom. I'm Michael Schneider, and on this episode of the Variety Awards Circuit Podcast, we talked to Andrew Garfield about his big year, which includes playing Larson in Tick, Tick, Boom, as well as televangelist Jim Baker in The Eyes of Tammy Faye. Oh, and reprising that web-slinger character he once portrayed as well. It's next on this edition of Variety's Awards Circuit Podcast. Stay close. Tick, Tick, Boom, which is Lin-Manuel Miranda's directorial debut, centers on the story of Rent playwright Jonathan Larson. Andrew Garfield stars as Larson, an aspiring composer in New York City who toils over whether he traveled down the wrong career path. It's also Garfield's debut in a film musical, and he shows off his singing chops. This is the life of Bobo This is the life of Bobo Bobo This is the life of Bobo Bobo Bohemia Showers in the kitchen, there might be some soap Dishes in the sink, brush your teeth to poop and cope Toilets in the closet, you better hope there's a light bulb in there Prick up your ears! Fourteen people in just four years! Ed and Max and Jonathan and Carolyn and Carrie. David Tim, no Tim was just a guest. I remember Tim. Margaret, Lisa, David, Susan, Stephen, Joe, and Sam. And Elsa, the bill collector's dream was still is on the lamb. Don't forget the neighbors, Michelle and Gate. The life of family, then a family. Time is flying and everything is dying. I thought by now I'd have a dog, a kid, and wife. The ship is sort of sinking, so let's start drinking. Before we start thinking, this is the life. This is the life of Bobo Bobo. This is the life of Bobo Bobo. This is the life of Bobo Bobo. Jonathan Larson first debuted Tick, Tick, Boom in 1990 as a solo work, but after his 1996 death, playwright David Auburn revived the musical, premiered it off-Broadway in 2001. Miranda, who starred in a 2014 stage production of Tick, Tick, Boom, also produces the film, along with Brian Grazer, Ron Howard, and Julie O. Playwright Stephen Levinson, who penned If I Forget and the book for Dear Evan Hansen, wrote the screen adaptation. Variety's Clayton Davis recently spoke with Garfield about Tick, Tick, Boom, working with Lin-Manuel Miranda, and much, much more. They began by discussing how Garfield first got involved with the project. It's one of those very strange, magical, cosmic experiences that 
when it begins, you don't know where it's going to lead, but you have a sense that it could lead somewhere pretty spectacular. And it all starts with, um, well, it started for me with Lynn manuel Miranda, who was, you know, putting together, you know, this, this version of Tick, Tick, Boom to honor John Larson. And at this point, I didn't really have a connection with John Larson, but I did have a, a big kind of artistic crush on, on Lynn. And uh, so when I heard that he wanted to talk to me about something, I immediately just thought, well, whatever it is, I know it's going to be deep, emotional, heartfelt, funny, joyful, meaningful, kind of, I know it's going to run the gamut of great story. I just know that whatever he's drawn to, whatever he creates has all of those factors. So it was kind of an immediate no brainer for me in, in the sense of like, if it's Lynn, then it's, then I want to be a part of it. And then you add to that, you know, he introduced me to John, he introduced me to John Larson through his work, through a deeper dive beyond rent and into who he was as a human being. And then it was this kind of very cosmic, strange thing where he was introducing me to what felt like a long lost brother that I that I never I had never met before. And suddenly there was this kind of beautiful kinship that I was able to start creating with the spirit of John Larson. And then from that came this, oh God, like this overwhelming desire to to make sure that. Well, to give John another life, to give John even more life than 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 the short life that he had in incarnate. He he died at thirty five, as as most of us know now. But at, on the on the night before the first preview of Rent off Broadway, so for me it became this kind of spiritual devotional experience where every morning I would wake up for a year, year and a half, and I would devote myself at the altar of John Larson, and therefore at the altar of art and the altar of carrying on with one's creative calling and art calling, even in the face of rejection and, um, you know, the brick wall of an industry that doesn't want you, um, criticism, failure, and then getting back on the horse. Like, I think that's what's so one of the most kind of moving things about what Lynn has crafted with this film is that it's not about rent. It's not about a great success. It's about how do you live through failure and how do you, how do you um, re-up your commitment to your original dream after being kind of uh, smacked around by the world, smacked around by the industry you're trying to crack. Um, and yeah, I find that just, I think that's one of the reasons why it's maybe connecting with, with people in such a deep way because it does feel universal in that way. And everyone no matter whether they're living living through living out their dream or not everyone is born with a very very specific unique dream like my father for instance like he always wanted to be a screenwriter mm. so there's no, there's no wonder that and he didn't he didn't pursue it because he he wanted to um provide for his kids like he wanted to you know make sure that we were all surviving so he made a sacrifice wait wait <laughs> is is there not money in writing like in that in that part of the industry Wait, hold on. <laughs> Maybe not for many people. Oh, but, got uh, it. No, yeah, occasionally. <laughs> oh, um, but yeah, he would drive past because he was he was from he, he, him and my mom moved back to LA when they got married, and he would drive. He was a he was a, he had a moving company, mm -hmm. and he would drive past the Fox lot every other day, 
right. and just wonder what was going on behind those behind those gates, those kind of hallowed gates, like what was being made there. He wanted to be a screenwriter. So, but anyway, so I think that's why it's connecting with so many people is because it's like, well, how do we keep showing up in the face of people telling us to stop? Oh man, that, that, that's, first of all, tell your dad to write this to write the script now. Like it's, it's the story that's, I know you, you, you ever hear one of those, like, you know, like, yeah, I just got into it late in life. We saw that last year with Paul Racy in yeah. sound of metal, 72 years old was acting game, you know, worked in a bar oh, and then got his big break. Tell your dad to do it now. I'm telling you, it would probably be the best movie that we have. I love it. Yeah. No, I'm definitely encouraging him. I think he definitely feels much more kind of compelled and it has a bit more space to, to maybe, you know, get back into in touch with that. Yeah, it's yeah. he's pretty brilliant. Tell me Clay, Clayton wants it though, because you, you know it for me. <laughs> um so what's about your musicality? Because uh there's these rumors going around that you didn't know how to play piano and you didn't really know how to sing either. And you just kind of picked it up naturally, you know, in preparation for this role. Is that the case? Well I wouldn't say picked it up naturally. I just, <laughs> I, I definitely I, I it's a skill, right? So like I knew I wasn't tone deaf, you know, like I, and I, and I grew when I was a kid, I played clarinet and I played guitar, but I never played piano and I'd always wanted to learn piano. Um, and I, you know, I had never sung beyond, you know, in the shower or, you know, Will Smith's Miami at karaoke, you know, that thing. But, uh, but for me, yeah. So no, it was, it was, it was daunting for sure. Um, but you know, Lynn said we have a, at least a year before he wanted to shoot. And I thought, well, if I'm not tone deaf, Let's get me in a room with with someone who can check that, and uh, and and someone who you know who works with actor singers. Someone like and we and of course Liz Kaplan was the person to to go and train with, and um, you know it's Lynn Lynn's person and so many other people's um, voice whisperer in New York City and Chelsea, and so I I had a couple of sessions with her immediately and and she kind of reported on this little back channel text to Lynn, yeah, no, I think he can get there. I think he can get there. So that was kind of the beginning of me having the confidence to get ultimately to that place of being on stage at the New York Theater Workshop and and on stage at an empty Delacorte theater in the middle of the night and being feeling like I could liberate myself and let go enough to try to honor John, try to honor the way that he sung his song. Um, which was full bodied, right? Like full, every single cell, life and death. If the back row of the galaxy don't hear this song, then there will be no change in the world. My friends will all die. You know, the Reagan administration will continue to kill us. Mm -hmm. um, it, it, it was really art and music as a revolutionary act and as a, a war cry. Uh, for for goodness, to remember our interconnectedness, to um, to to heal each other, to take care of each other, to to change and to, to, to and and there's no re there's no surprise to me that right now in high school, high school musical theater kids want to do one of two plays. They want to do Hamilton and they want to do Rent mm. because it's all about the revolution. It's all about and and the young people right now being being kind of woken up into the world that they're inheriting and the systems that aren't working for anybody. Yeah. And I, I feel like that's one of the, I think John would be very, very happy to feel that his music is still being used 
and as 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 a form of inspiration on a, on a on a march. You know what I mean? That's what it feels like symbolically. Yeah, awesome. Uh, you've worked with some pretty amazing uh, directors in in your life. Uh, one of your earliest was Robert Redford huh. uh, for Lions for Lambs. You've worked with uh, David Fincher on Social Network. Martin Scorsese in Silence. By the way, like my favorite Scorsese movie. It's a very unpopular opinion to say uh, often, but it is the best Scorsese film. Oh, sweet. Um, and then now Lin-Manuel Miranda, first time up and comer, uh, up and coming, you know, filmmaker. Uh, how does it compare working with him as working with so many of these other people? Well, it's so interesting because the thing that delineates, like usually delineates a, a kind of a younger more, you know, less experienced director from someone like Scorsese or Fincher, um, you know, or Spike Jones or, or, or any of them, you know, or Redford or any of the, 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 the more kind of um, experienced directors I've worked with usually is like, there's a, there's a, there's an interesting thing that happens, which is like a control thing, like a, like a need to control. Whereas these older guys, and, and, you know, th these older people are, they have a kind of, they, they, they loosen their grip on the thing. There's a confidence, right? And they, and therefore there's a tremendous ability to collaborate because they know that they, they know that if every member of the crew and cast feel like they are able to bring their own talent to the table, then it's just going to enhance everything. Yeah. And then that director gets to take credit for everything. So there's a, there's a brilliance to that. Yeah. And that was my experience with all of these more experienced directors. And then Lynn comes along and, and flips it for me because suddenly it's as if he is one of those, he has that secret. Mm -hmm. I don't know what that is, if it's innate in him or if it's from having been, you know, doing musical theater since, since his twenties, since his early twenties, that he has, he has that muscle already where he knows how collaborative it has to be. And he knows that actually his, his job is to inspire others to, to bring all of themselves, to bring all of their own inspiration. Yeah. I don't know what it is. I wouldn't, I wouldn't be able to analyze it. All I know is, is that that was the feeling. There was a strange kind of magic that that he creates in every in every single person that that he's collaborating with because he has such confidence in his own abilities it becomes contagious yeah. he kind of he infuses you with your own sense of taste and artistic uh Im image and and drive and longing and it becomes this kind of um this kind of wave of, of energy that gets built up be between everybody and, and suddenly, you know, and also there's no wrong answer. And I didn't feel like I ever had to tiptoe around anything. There, there were times where we had to really get into the weeds in a scene and figure things out in the moment. And it was hard, but it became this very trust from immediately. It became this very, it was a very, very trusting relationship. Like I remember in the first, in the first instance, I saw the schedule and I saw that I, you know, they, they had scheduled me to sing, to do the scene in the Delacour at the end of the first week of shooting, which is the big emotional song for, for John, the, the crux moment of why. And I knew I wanted to sing live and blah, blah, blah. 
And I said to him, what are you, what are you doing to me, man? Like, why are you putting this in the first week of shooting? And he said, no, buddy, it's going to be, it's going to be great. You're going to get out of the way. You're going to clear the runway for yourself and it's going to be wonderful. And then I was like, no, 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 tell me, tell me why, honestly, like, don't fuck with me. And he's like, well, we're going to lose the location if we don't do it in the first week. And I'm like, okay, thank you. So from then on, there was this kind of real transparency. Like we could say anything to each other and we could, we could, um, we could really just let John and let the, the project be the thing. It wasn't a battle of egos. It was just, neither of us wanted to be haunted by the ghost of Jonathan Larson. So we better just get this right together. And it was a really beautiful thing. It was, a, and, and the confidence, it was the confidence that I re really found and it instilled in, it just, inst and the joy, I would mm. say confidence and joy and joy is a very hard thing to cultivate on a film yep. set, especially with the hours, especially with the, you know, and especially during COVID, the fact that he was able to cultivate a, an atmosphere of joyfulness and gratitude while everyone was covered in PPE, it was pretty incredible, actually. I'm very, mm. I'm very impressed by him. I was already, but then it, this just upped it. After the break, more from Andrew Garfield. From Los Angeles, this is the Award Circuit Podcast. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, Revoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. And we're back. It's the Variety Award Circuit Podcast. I'm Michael Schneider. We're talking to Andrew Garfield, star of Tick Tick Boom and the Eyes of Tammy Faye. As the conversation continues, Clayton Davis tells him that Tick, Tick, Boom has just been named one of the year's top 10 films by AFI. Uh, I have some breaking news for you right now at the time of this recording. I uh, just want to let you know right now, I just got it right now, the embargo will lift in uh, about 45 minutes so I can tell you. Uh, Tick, Tick, Boom was just named top 10 best films of the year by AFI uh, Film Awards. Yeah. Right now. That's just, awesome. Just in. Oh, that's so sick. Oh, yeah. I'm so happy. Yeah. Oh, that's really fucking cool. And I, I'm, oh man, I'm just so, ah, fuck. I'm so proud of everyone. I'm so proud of Lynn. I'm so proud of Julio. I'm so proud of Julie Larson, Celia Costas. I'm mm. so grateful to Netflix. I'm so proud of this yeah. cast. Like, yeah. we are just a love tribe, man. We fucking, yeah. it's a musical theater people are the best. <laughs> that is true. <laughs> musical theater and film combined, you're suddenly like in heaven and, Oh man, that's so cool. Yeah. Oh, I'm so excited we get to all sit together and, and yeah. celebrate. That's fucking awesome. Hopefully I'll sit there with you. So don't don't be afraid to invite me. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, you, you broke the news. You're in. I know. I gotta, I, yeah, you got to tell them now. Um, <laughs> just also, talking about musicals, I was trying to think of like, you know, after I, once I learned someone can sing, I start casting you in my head. So I have some work for you to do. Um, I am waiting for a Pippin movie. And I've been waiting for it for such a long time. And technically, I don't think I, I think you might be too old for it because you're because it's supposed, it's supposed to be on the younger side. But we can always kind of age up. You're in the Eddie Redmayne zone right now of like you're not aging. You're kind of 
you're you're stuck in wherever you are right now, which is <laughs> probably your best friend. But would you ever be interested in doing another uh, musical in the future? And would it be Pippin? Because that's just <laughs> well, it's hard for me to say no now after that. Yeah. <laughs> I um I I would love to do another musical. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. You know, Lynn's so funny. He's like. He would say to me every week on say, like, why do people make movies that aren't musicals? Yes. <laughs> like, you know what? I'm starting to wonder that too, because this is the most fun that could be had on a film set. Um, yeah. So no, I, I mean, it's so cool right now that there's this rebirth of musical movies within the Heights and with West Side Story, obviously. Like, I'm just so, you know, it's so cool to be a part of this wave. And I, and I guess La La Land was the thing that kind of, uh, I don't know, reintroduced the culture in a yeah. way maybe kind of reopened the door slightly to musical movies being kind of well, de- well definitely for original uh musicals i would definitely agree because because even lead up to la la land like you know les miserables was making its 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 wave like we we've been in this like flirtation with you know musicals movie musicals making it back and yeah. uh but this year especially it's it's a boom it feels good you know, really, I, I, I wonder if that's because we're in the darkest times ever. Maybe, as, as, yeah. as a so we need to, we need song and dance. We need to, we, and we need full expression yeah. maybe. Cause that's what musicals are for me. It's not escapism per se for me. It's like, it's full expression. That's why I felt on set. It was like yeah. these stories and this mode of, this mode of storytelling is you're using every inch, every cell, every muscle, and every facet of your being to express the human condition through Absolutely. song, through dance, through, you know, it's a, it's a kind of holistic, holistic kind of total theater art form. And I, I, I so, so yeah, I mean, so definitely sign me up um, for, for Pippin, mm-hmm. if you can de-age yeah. me. P- Pippin and Assassins. I think those are the two Ooh. things. Assassins, I, I'm, I don't know why Assassins hasn't been made yet. Like I'm like, right sitting here wondering. Oh, you're right. That's interesting. Yeah. Uh, I do need to talk about Stephen Sondheim, you know, on the answering machine, which we didn't know. I didn't know at the time. I found out later on. Um, in- incredible honor. Did you speak with him, uh, like, leading up to that moment of, of his voice? Did you hear it on set? How did that all come to, to be? I met Sondheim once in my life, and it was um, at dinner. I was, uh, I went and saw Audra doing um, the Billie Holiday piece that she was doing, the Lady Day musical that she was doing with um, uh, my old mentor and friend, Mike Nichols. And Mike said, we're going to go and meet Steve for for dinner. (laughs) I'm like, okay, uh, who knows which Steve this could be? Is it Spielberg? Who's it going to be? And then it turned out to be um, Sondheim. And I just kind of bowed. and and then left him alone for the rest of the evening and just sat there with him while while you know while him and Mike talked and just kind of listened and um so 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 that was the only time I met him I didn't talk to him leading yeah. up to this I know Lynn had a has a had a, a beautiful friendship and yeah. mentorship connection with him and and then on the day you know I think it was I don't know if Bradley Whitford had recorded his 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 message yet, or maybe he had. And I was just listening to Bradley doing it. But you know, it was a magical moment because, you know, it was, you know, it's a it's what that pure moment of mentorship, right? That John got to experience and that we all get to experience through John watching. So for me, it was like projecting all of my mentors into that voice. 
you know, Mike was there in the room with me. My mother was there in the room. It was like, it was a, it was a voice message from, you know, some spiritual plane, some other place coming through and letting me know that I was supposed to keep going. Yeah. And that's the, the thing that all artists need to hear, right? It's the thing we were talking about. How do we, how do we know when it's time to give in? How do we know when it's time to keep going? And, and then, you know, the story behind what happened after that, you know, Lynn, Lynn basically showed the film to, to Stephen and Stephen was very complimentary about it, but then gave a couple of notes and said, look, I, I don't think I would say this. Maybe I could rewrite a little bit for you. And, and Lynn was like, well, just send me a voice recording. Voice. And, uh, and then he had the, and then Lynn had the, the good foresight and audacity and confidence to put, just use it. <laughs> to put Stephen's voice in the film. And it's kind of, you know, Lynn always talks about the, the two lineages, the two um, kind of uh, life's work that Sondheim has left behind. One is his actual, you know, creativity, his music, his songs, his stories. And then the other thing is this other strand of, of mentorship that he left behind, this kind of yeah. example of what it is to be an elder of the community. And there's, and Mike Nichols was the same. They were people that, that, that knew that they couldn't take anything with them, that they wanted to leave everything here, yeah. plant every single seed, you know, as much as throw themselves like seed. So the fact that we got to honor that very, very, well, both legacies of Sondheim, the, 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 the brilliance of his music, but also the, the beauty of the elder of the community that he became and the proper mentor that he became, the generous teacher and encourager that he became, yeah. symbolizing that voice message that he leaves for John at the end of the film in his own voice. It's kind of one of the last gifts that he left for, and, and oh man, it's so emotionally beautiful. Like mm. for a whole new generation of, of artists, whether they're musical theater artists or otherwise. Yeah. It, it's, there's something so stunning and it, it chokes me up just thinking about it. It's like the amount of people who are watching this film and who are coming away remembering what they need to do, remembering what they're meant to do with their lives. It transcends making a film at that point. And it becomes about, well, how do we, how do I go back into my life now with, with this remembrance? I mean, that is the best art for me. And that's, that, that's what got me into this in the first place. I remember seeing a play called Mnemonic by a very strange, eccentric, esoteric theater company led by Simon McBurney, who's also mm -hmm. a great actor called Teatro. It's his company, um, Teatro de Complicite. When I, when I was 16, it was my fir the first play I was ever taken to down in Kingston in, in England. And I remember it was this devised, wacky, esoteric piece on memory and life. It was devised. And it was as if the, the, my, my brain had exploded. It was the kind of the same thing that, you know, Lynn must have experienced watching Tick, Tick, Boom for the first time. Yeah. And I was like, oh, I think I know what I've got to do. I think mm -hmm. I know that I need to live on stage with those fucking weirdos yeah. making weird shit that actually reminds us of, of who we are and our capacities and the possibility of being human and that opens up our hearts. That's what was happening. And so, you know, Stephen was, you know, he's, he's, he's left us unbelievable, like riches, like uh, uncountable. And, and the fact that, that one of, one of those riches is in our film is just so moving. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you for that. I have two yeah. last questions. Uh, 
quickly. One uh, of which I'm sure you've never gotten before. Uh, you have a year that includes mainstream, eyes of Tammy Faye, uh, tick, tick, boom, and maybe Spider-Man no way home. I, I, I know no one's asked you about this yet. Is there anything you can uh, provide in terms of information about the new upcoming Spider-Man film, No Way Home? No. There's nothing you can provide in terms of information or confirmation of your involvement or not involvement with such picture. I can only provide what I've already provided, which is I have no idea about this film. <laughs> but, but, I mean, like, they've got me excited. Like, I'm mm-hmm. excited to yeah. see what they do. I am genuinely excited to see what they do because I love yeah. I love John Watts and I love what what Tom has done in the role and yeah. so I'm I'm super excited to see what they do. You're such you're like Fine. you're not believing any of my I can't I can't keep uh, defending my my corner here. Uh, I mean listen it, it is it is what it is. It's, it's it's Andrew Garfield we just we just ask. And the last one uh cuz I'm the awards editor at Variety. Uh you know you are 10 years removed from your first Oscar snub for social network. Uh, and you are five years removed from your first Oscar nomination for Hacksaw Ridge. And now I feel very confident in saying that Oscar nomination number two is coming down the pike. Later. And, and, and could challenge, uh, you know, could, could be something big. What would it mean to get another dance with, uh, with the Oscar game? Oh man, it's such a tricky question because, you know, I work really hard to, to just, well, here's the thing. The the main, the main thing for me is that I get to make the make work and I get to be a part of stories that I love. And I know that's an answer that most people would expect, but it's really the truth. Like I think about it all the time. I'm thrown back on myself and I go, wait a minute, hold on, just take a breath here. I am so lucky. And I, I don't mean that in a Pat way or a Pollyanna way. I'm just like, no, I, if I can live my life telling stories like this one, like Tick, Tick, Boom, honoring people like Jonathan Larson and hopefully providing healing and inspiration for other people watching in the audience, that's literally, I will die a happy man. That is the I, nothing truer has ever been said. I, I really, truly, sincerely feel that. And then there's this thing. I remember when I when we came out and we we, we presented the film uh, the, the first SAG screening we had in LA, and I knew that they would love it because it's about us. You know, it's about everyone with a SAG card. This film. Yep. And and I and I so I I said to Lynn, I was like, hey, they're gonna love this. I, I'm I'm pretty I'm pretty sure we're gonna get a really warm reception here because. This is our story. This is everyone in that theater's story. Mm-hmm. Everyone has experienced this in that in that room. But I I wasn't prepared for the um, the affinity that, that 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 audience had with with John and with Tick Tick Boom. And I, I have to I have to say there was a part of me that was like that was over really kind of overwhelmed by by the response in a way that that made me go how how am I supposed to compute. Like doing it is enough. You know what I mean? Making these things is enough. Like I, 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 when I first started out, I was, I was saying yes to, you know, Spanish Doritos commercials. You know what I mean? <laughs> if I was going to get paid two grand for two days of work, hell yeah. I'll take yeah. two days off of my Starbucks job and I'll go and pretend to, you know, play air guitar with a Dorito <laughs> as a plectrum. Yes. So now the fact that I'm, that, that you, you just asked me that question 
it's really humbling and it's really I'm I'm in, I'm just incredibly grateful that for whatever reason my life has has brought me here my artistic life has brought me here and that I get to make work with people at the level that that I admire so much like Lynn and the Oscars have always meant so much to me since I was a kid and uh I watched it every year like I d- I don't even know why when I was a kid I had no idea it was just you know it just looked it looked like a beautiful gratitude ritual and a celebration mm. of, of, you know, story because story is everything. Mm. And, and I, you know, it's, you know, the last time I went, I was with my mom and my dad and my best friend, Ellie, and, mm. and we had one of the great nights ever. And it was, it was pressureless. I had already won just by being invited. Yeah. And I was so just happy to share this moment of kind of, I don't know, special celebration and gratitude. It was a gratitude ritual that I, I got to walk the red carpet with my dad. And like, you know, we got to tell um, Jerry O'Connell how much we love his character in Jerry Maguire. Mm. And we, we sang the Kushlash song to him. Like, you know, you, you know that from Jerry Maguire? Yeah. Where, where, where on, they're on the, the roof and Jerry, it's, it's Jerry O'Connell, right? It's Jerry O'Connell. And Jerry Maguire, yes. Wait, he, he, wait, he, plays, he plays Cushman. He plays the... The quarterback, the the number one draft pick quarterback. I'm like double checking just to make sure. Yeah, Jerry O'Connell. Yes, you're Jerry right. O'Connell. So Jerry O'Connell you made me double. Made me question yeah, yeah. it real quick. Yeah, so he, good. Was doing, he was doing interviews on the red carpet, and I, and I was and I was walking the carpet with my dad, and I was like, Dad, do you want to do this next interview with me, and we can ambush Jerry O'Connell and tell him how much we love, um, you know, because there, there's a song in, um, you know, they're in the the penthouse of um, an apartment in New York during the draft, and Jerry O'Connell's brother and the thing goes, Oh, look you're on the big screen again in Times Square and Jerry O'Connell looks out the window and he sees his face and number one draft pick. And he says, Oh God, I got, I'm sick of me already. I got Kushlash. And then he like plays, he played, he has, it gets, it's like Kushlash. Yeah. Kushlash, Kushlash, Kushlash. And so whenever, you know, I'm, whenever I feel like I'm doing, you know, <laughs> whenever I'm in this experience, yeah. to great people like you and I, and like my dad goes, you got Kushlash yet? And I'm like, Oh, yeah. <laughs> so we, you know, it's, it, there's real beautiful kind of, yeah, it's beautiful to feel like you're on the right track and you're you're in the right business and you're the, the the dream that you started following when you were foolish enough to start following it, it, it keeps pulling at you and it's just yeah. affirmation of 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 that for me. But yeah, I mean, of course, it's a, such a such a, a a kind of privileged place for for me yeah. to be. In. Well, moral of the story is Jerry O'Connell got the preview of your singing voice before any of us did, so <laughs> there's that. Listen, uh, Andrew, you're. You're the best man. Wait, real quick. What 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 will we see you in next? What are you working on? What's your next movie? I'm out here in Calgary. I'm shooting a a, a mini series called a limited series called Under the Banner of Heaven yep. with Dustin Lance Black writing and show running. And it's a based on the book by John Krakauer. And it's about it's a true crime story about these murders that happened in the Mormon community in the eighties and the unpicking of the Mormon faith. Some a, a light skit about um, you know murders in the Mormon community in the eighties. Uh, yeah, fa- I mean, I'm, an incredible book that I loved when it first came out. And when Dustin Lance Black asked if I wanted to come and help out, I was kind of an immediate yes because of him and because of the story. And it's an amazing cast: um, Wyatt Russell, um, Daisy Edgar Jones, Denise Goff. Sam Worthington, you know, it's just an, an incredible group of people. Sandra Seacat, like, it's just, it's a really amazing, like a proper ensemble. And I think it'll be, it's a great true crime story with a with a, an amazing kind of spiritual thematic thing surrounding it. So it's really interesting. Cool. 
Dope. All right. And then I'm sure we'll maybe see you December 13th uh, in Los Angeles or December 17th, U.S. release of uh, another film. Maybe, maybe not. Uh, oh, you're, you're breaking up. I can't quite. Uh, <laughs> that's Andrew Garfield, star of Tick, Tick, Boom, The Eyes of Tammy Faye, and yes, Spider-Man No Way Home. Tick, Tick, Boom is now streaming on Netflix while The Eyes of Tammy Faye is in theaters. And I assume you already have your tickets for that Spider-Man thingy. And that's it for this edition of Variety's Award Circuit Podcast. We'll be back tomorrow with another all-new episode featuring the weekly Award Circuit Roundtable and an interview with Spencer director Pablo Lorraine. The Award Circuit Podcast is edited by Drew Griffith and Michael Schneider is the producer. Be sure to subscribe to the Award Circuit Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you download podcasts. Also, head on over to Variety.com and click on the Award Circuit tab to find the latest Oscar predictions in key races, as well as your daily fix of news, analysis, and reviews. For Jazz Tanke, Clayton Davis, and Janelle Riley, I'm Michael Schneider, and we'll see you on the circuit. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.